Pray with me, Father in heaven. To live what we just sang requires that you give us your grace. And so I pray now that this word that you shall give to us will be the word of your grace. That it will build us up. That it will assure us of the inheritance that which is to come. And that God, that you would then enable us to give our our lives away for your glory and kingdom. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, turn to Acts in chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. I want to begin reading with verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, please. I'll read to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease nights or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being most, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. They would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I've mentioned before that I don't care for red letter editions of the Bible, primarily because I, I don't like to read red. But um, uh, it concerns me. Uh, because my fear is that people will think that the words in red are more inspired or um, authoritative than the other words, and that simply isn't true. Though they'd be spoken by the Lord Jesus, those words in red. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed, that is, it comes from God. And so we must realize that the whole of the Scripture uh, is from God, not simply these words of Jesus. But that having been said, it's, it's, it's always shocking to read somewhere other than the gospel and see something in red. Because you realize we expect these words of Jesus in the gospels. But when we come here in the book of Acts and we see this sentence, at least in my version in verse 35, where Paul quotes Jesus in his talk. Paul quotes Jesus, it's more blessed to, blessed to give than to receive, is, is in red. Now, there's some other red sentences, other red expressions outside of the Gospels. There's a few others, a couple others in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Revelation, especially chapters 1 through 3, and some other sections of Revelation, if you have a red letter edition, are in red. But what makes this one even more interesting is that all of those are uh, re references to Jesus actually talking. 
But this is a quote. And this is a quote that we really don't have anywhere else. That is to say, nowhere else do we read uh, in the Gospels, for instance, that Jesus actually uttered this sentence. It is more better. It is, be- it is better to give than to receive. Um, they're more, I'm sorry, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, so we don't read that anywhere else. So obviously, either Paul had gotten it from someone or maybe he heard Jesus say it when his comings and goings and so forth and so we simply don't know how that came to him but uh, he attributes it to Jesus thus we believe it so we can hear certainly uh, think of Jesus saying something like this given all that he said about giving and serving and so forth uh, so it makes sense um, certainly at that point and even John as he finishes his gospel says that if all the things that Jesus had said were written down, then it would take libraries to contain it. So, so what we have in the Gospels is, is just what God wants us to have of the sayings and the words of Jesus. And here he gives us one more. It is more blessed to give uh, than to receive. This is a beatitude. We talk about the Beatitudes that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, those expressions with, which begin with the word blessed or blessed. Um, And when we talk about this word blessed, it's more than just giving a blessing. In fact, in Greek, there's two words that are translated either blessed or blessing or blessed. One, which is not this one, means to pronounce a blessing upon another. That is a word of affirmation. For instance, a benediction is a blessing in that sense, where it's a word of affirmation. It's a a word of blessing. But when a person is said to be blessed or to be in a blessed state, it means, I guess most commonly, it means that you're happy. Now, for us, happiness is a rather hollow thing because it comes and goes, and this isn't to come and go. So it might be that a better biblical word or synonym might be the word joy, that is something that stays with us. But really, the sense is that the blessed person is a person who is filled A person who's filled to the full and therefore lacks nothing. Um, The 23rd Psalm begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or in some of the more modern versions, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's blessedness. That's the state of being blessed. So, what we find in these Beatitudes of Jesus is is sort of a, a... Things which are rather counterintuitive, for instance. Jesus says, a person who's poor in spirit is in a state of fullness. You say, wait a minute, how can that be? But he does say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when you reach a point of spiritual bankruptcy, when you realize that you haven't anything uh, with which to commend yourself to God, when you're humbled in that sense and you go before him, he says, all right, I'll give you the kingdom of heaven because that's the only way you can receive it. So someone who's, who's poor in spirit or understands their spiritual bankruptcy is a person in a state of fullness. Blessed are those who mourn. You say, how can that be? Well, if this person who mourns is mourning because they're aware of misery caused by sin, and they're sensitive to that sin and it so grieves them, and they come to God, they're in a state of fullness because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Well, a meek person doesn't seem to be full. It seems to be somebody who's, who's humbled and who's lowly. But Jesus says, wait a minute, that person 
is a person who's full. When they recognize who they are in the presence of God, they realize their spiritual bankruptcy and they realize their sin. He says that person is in a state of fullness because if you are meek in that sense, you will inherit the earth. Everything shall be yours. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Somebody who's hungering doesn't seem to be quite full. Somebody who's thirsting doesn't seem to be really satisfied. Ah, he says, but if it's after righteousness that, that, you're, that you're desiring, and that, then you come to me and, and, and you'll be satisfied. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The person who's in the state of fullness is the person who so desires to see God that their heart is pure after him. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. These are the ones who are full. Blessed are, are those who are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Blessed are those who are reviled because of the name of Christ. Ah, theirs is the kingdom. They shall be satisfied. Their reward shall be great in heaven. Those are the full ones. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to be full, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to be happy, if you want to put it that way, and realize it's more blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that doesn't mean that receiving is a bad thing, in fact. Uh, there, are, there are times when receiving is necessary, and not to receive means that one is filled with pride. In fact, as human beings, we must realize that our posture before God is always in the receiving mode. I've shared before that one of the passages of the Old Testament Psalms that I live from is Psalm 8110, where we read, that God has said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. I mean, that's our posture before God always. Never are we in the giving sense to him in the sense that he has a need. In fact, uh, Timothy, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he refers to God as the blessed God, the God who is the blessed one, meaning he's the full one. He has everything that there is. We're never giving to him. We're always receiving <coughs> Excuse me. And so, so we, we must realize that that that, that our, our 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 mode before God, our posture before God, is always in in this sense of receiving. In fact, we read this morning in our affirmation of faith to those who received Him. It was those to whom He gave the authority, the right to be called children of God. In fact, we've received from Him. He says, "Grace upon grace, grace in abundance." And so, so. Being a receiver is a great blessing. In fact, you can't be anything but a receiver in one's relationship with God. But, but Jesus is saying something here that we must pay attention to. He says, if you want to live a life that's full, then you need to realize that it doesn't come by accumulation and hoarding and keeping. Whether we're talking about money, whether we're talking about your time, whether we're talking about your very lives. Fullness doesn't come from keeping Fullness comes from spreading. Fullness comes from giving. In fact, the very identity of a believer in Christ, however you want to put that, points to this. For instance, in the book of Acts, as we've been walking our way through it, what we find here is that our identity is to be witnesses. Witnesses, by definition, are people who do not keep this news. Right? They spread it around. And so fullness comes from giving out this witness. Uh, Jesus said that they'll know you're my disciples because you love each other. 
And there's a sense in which, you see, the very mark of the Christian is in keeping, but loving, is in keeping, but spreading, is in keeping, but, but giving. That's that sense of it. And so he says, if you want to live a full life, if you want to be without need, give. And again, it's a bit counterintuitive. He says, but, 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 but what if I need what I'm giving? <laughs> and you get the sense that he says, you're not getting it. Now, what leads Paul to this point, the reason he quotes Jesus, is because he's talking, as you might remember from last Sunday, he's talking to the elders who are the elders over the church in Ephesus. Now again, just to put ourselves in the book of Acts, Paul is in his third missionary journey. He's been out on, on various missionary journeys, and this is his third one. And he's coming back. He wants to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. And um, so he's traveling a bit in a hurry. He loves the church in Ephesus. He had spent three years there, planted the church. He struggled there. He taught them. No doubt he chose this, these particular elders and trained them, poured his very life into them. As he says, day in and day out, night in and night out, he was, he was with them. So he loves them and he wants to see them. And so he, he, rather than going to Ephesus, he calls them to come to Miletus and meet him there. Perhaps it was just... A wise thing on his part, knowing his own emotion. He may never separate himself from them if he ever gets to Ephesus again. So he, he figures they'll go back because they need to. But, but Paul knows uh, their, their lives as elders. Because Paul understands that churches are not governed by everybody in the church doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. Uh, he knows churches aren't governed by one person. He knows that that God has ordained a structure for the church where those who are spiritual men oversee the life and ministry of the church. And so, so Paul's carrying that out by appointing these elders and training them and, and all of that. But in the midst of that, he, he knows their calling. He knows their calling is to be shepherds. This group of elders is not some sort of board of directors that kind of makes policy for the church. But they shepherd, they care, they love, they're involved. It's their very lives that's in that church. It's not some aloof kind of board. It's shepherds. And so he knows their calling as shepherds. And he knows that, that their calling as shepherds is a, is a significant and a deep stewardship. Because he knows the church does not belong to them any more than the church belongs to Paul. He knows the church belongs to Jesus. And Jesus bought the church with his own blood. And so this is not an insignificant thing. This is a huge thing. And so Paul understands the weight of that, the burden of that that's on them. And so he calls them to strengthen them and to help them. And so he says to them, you know my example you know that I served you. And when Paul talks about serving them, he uses the word for a bond slave. He says, I was in a sense a slave to Christ and even your slave to serve you and to love you and to care for you. And I did it, he said, with tears. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something that just came easily. It wasn't something that sort of didn't bother me. It wasn't an eight to five kind of deal. It was my whole life. And every time I saw you in trouble and any time I saw you having difficulties, it, it hurt me. And I, I cried for you. I wept. You know that. And you know the trials that we experienced in Ephesus and how some came against us and all of that. And so he said, I served. You know how I did that. That's how you're to live as well. 
So given this calling, given this stewardship, given who they were to be, and given the dangers that were before them, Paul said that that even amongst you will come wolves in sheep's clothing to try to lure away the sheep. And you're going to have to be discerning enough and strong enough and have enough courage to deal with that and and to protect the sheep. Knowing all of that, Paul says, I'm going to therefore commend you or leave you. I'm going to commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And again, as I said last Sunday, and somebody asked me what this meant, so I should tell you. I guess it's not clear unless you have 16th century roots. (laughs) But I said, this is a divine cordial. There was an old book written called The Divine Cordial. It was written on Romans 8, 28. And a a cordial, you should know this, it's close to Valentine's Day, is, is a wonderful piece, in my view, a wonderful piece of chocolate. All right? It's something that makes you happy. It's something that lightens your load. It's something that, that you, you think about or you eat and you go, oh, yes, this is it. And, and so a divine cordial is that from God which takes the burden away, if you will. You hear that and you go, oh, phew. All right? And so in Paul's words, as he sits with them, no doubt, and he talks to them about all of their calling and all of the burden and, and all of the threats and all of that. He says, them, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commend you to God. And, and you can just feel the cloud lifting because, because it, will, it, will, it will raise their sights above it. Karen and I, just aside, a little sermonette. Karen and I were in an airplane a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh, she's just not real fond of airplanes necessarily. And uh, we were going up through the clouds and bumping our way along, you know. And he said something that just struck us as just a divine cordial. Because we got up above the clouds finally and the sun came in the, in the, uh, in the window of the plane. And uh, she said, oh, it's so good to be out of the clouds so you can see the sun. And I said, yes. I said, that's what church is. He said, that's what worship is to do for us. He said, take us up through the clouds and bump us along. But to give us a glimpse of the sun. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. He was giving them a glimpse of the sun. He was saying, all right, you know the clouds, you know the difficulties. Now we're out. I want you to, to cast your eyes upon God. I'm going to commend you to him. Think of him. And the word of his grace. And we think of the word of God's grace, we realize our inability, but yet his ability. Our lack, but his supply. And so he said, here's, I'm going to give you the word of his grace, which is able, he says, to build you up. This is what you need. This will strengthen you. The word of his grace. This will build you up. And uh, it will give you the inheritance that's among those who are sanctified. Sanctified being set apart by God to be his. And he says there is an inheritance that's coming. And if we read through the scripture, we find that inheritance described variously. Either as the kingdom of God, either as our salvation, either as eternal life. Uh, Peter mentions this inheritance in in 1 Peter, for instance, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Uh, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so Peter's putting it like this. He says there's an inheritance that's that's secure in heaven, and it's being kept there by God. And you're a people who by faith are continuing to live, continuing to walk, in such a way that, that a day will come when you'll grab a hold of all of that. That's as secure for you as anything could possibly be. Because God 
is keeping it. And you're going to hold on to it by faith, which means God is keeping you so that you will have it by faith always. And so in one sense, we live in the light of that inheritance, knowing that it's there. That's our security, if you will. No matter what happens here, no matter what we lose here, if you will, we know we've got that there. That's everything. And that is true and sure. And so Paul says the word of his grace will first cause you to realize your weakness, but yet you'll be empowered because you'll walk into the very presence of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll walk in the very presence of God and you'll walk by him and you'll know that you have this inheritance. And then I think Paul begins to talk about, again, his own life. Notice verse 33, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think what Paul is saying is, I want to give you the sentence. I want to give you a word of grace from the lips of Jesus that built me up and that gave me this inheritance that enabled me to do what you're called to do, enabled me to do what I did. And he says, what I was able to do is to minister honestly. I didn't covet anybody's gold or silver. It, it, this word, this, this divine cordial, this word of grace freed me from covetousness. I didn't minister to the people in Ephesus because I wanted what they had. I didn't minister to the people in Ephesus because I, I wanted to, be, to, to feel their affirmation or be promoted by them into some high position. I, I, I didn't do it so that they would give to me. In fact, I was so freed that I was able to make tents all day long and work really hard and even work in such a way that I could take care of the financial needs, the material needs of all my companions. And then at night, I ministered. Now, how can I do that? Well, because I knew something. There was a word of grace that was given to me by Jesus, given to all of us by Jesus, and it's this, he told me, it's more blessed to give than to receive, that is. Paul, he was thinking, if you want to live a full life, if you want to live a satisfied life, here's how you do it. You go to those who are weakest among you, whether that be weakest spiritually, whether that be weakest materially, whether that be weakest physically. You go to the weakest among you and you give. And you live a full life. You live filled by God. And he knew that. And I think that's the word of God for us, that we need to know that too. I mean, Paul knew the words of Jesus. We don't know where Paul was when Jesus was walking around. We don't know where Paul was really before uh, Acts chapter 6 when, and 7, when he's there in the stoning of Stephen. But he was a guy, and he knew Jerusalem, and he knew the area, and he knew what was going on, no doubt. But if he didn't hear these words from Jesus directly, we know that he would have heard them from the other apostles that he got to know. And we know that he spent time out in the desert, and Jesus taught him and all of that. And so, so these things which Jesus, we have recorded in the Gospels, Paul would have known, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 
Jesus said, don't lay up treasures. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you get the sense that Paul's treasure was for the glory of God. Paul's treasure was for God to be known. Paul's treasure was for God to be known in people's lives in such a way that when they were helped, they would turn and give thanks to God. Paul's treasure was in the sense that he knew that Jesus had called him to be light, to be the light of the world, to be light in the world as a reflection of Jesus. And the people were to see Paul's good works and glorify his Father who is in heaven. His treasure was that his Father would be glorified. And so whatever moved him to that was not a risk. Whatever moved him to that was not a sacrifice. Whatever moved him to that put him in this state of being full, blessed. He would be this, this very one. No doubt Paul would know of this one that Jesus, well, we refer to as the rich fool. Remember that occasion Jesus was asked by some people uh, to divide the inheritance. And Jesus told the story. But in doing so, he prefaced it with this. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now you see, that is so wrong for an American. We're taught so much differently than that. We're taught the exact opposite. We're taught that life really is in the abundance of our possessions. And so this goes so counter to, to everything that we live with in the context of our culture. But of course we would expect Jesus to be counter to everything we live with in the life of our culture. And so he says, no, it's not true. He really doesn't. That's not real life. And then Jesus tells a story. And he said there was a man who, who, was, who was prosperous, and so he built, built a bigger barn so he could, he could keep his, 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 his prosperity so that he could spend it upon himself. That makes perfect sense to us. And then Jesus said, and then he died. And we go, what a waste. And Jesus said, oh, you don't know the half of it. He could have been full. He could have had a life. He could have had real life if he hadn't just squandered it, kept it all and hoarded it all away. If he would have, in fact, given it, man, he would have been rich towards God. And as it was, he was poverty-stricken, really, in the context of all of that. We know the story of the rich young ruler. We know this, this man who comes to Jesus and, and asks him about having eternal life. And, and Jesus, knowing his heart, he says, well, sell everything that you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. If you really want eternal life, I'm going to test you now with this very deep thing. And we know how that story ends because this man went away sad because he loved his possessions. And so the disciples of Jesus uh, come to him. And, and Jesus looked at them and looked at this rich man. And he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And we think, what an absurd illustration. Well, that's Jesus' point. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. That's just 
So those who heard it, those said to Jesus, who can be saved? And he said, what's impossible with men is, I'm sorry, what's impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. Little old Peter says exactly what we're all thinking. You know, I know I brought that Grisham novel, God, but I gave 40 bucks to the missionary from Africa. And we had $20 in my pocket. Who knows what could have happened to me between Natchez, Mississippi and Lawrence, Kansas, that I would try to use one of the six credit cards in my wallet for him. Um, and Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm not a taker. (laughs) I'm a filler. Give and you'll be full. Paul, in speaking to the church in Corinth, this competitive group of Christians who are always trying to one-up each other in this and that and have more than the next Paul humbles them by telling them that it's all from Jesus and the cross. But then he raises all of that by saying this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. In other words, live counter to the wisdom of this age that says life consists in all that you have. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. And then Paul makes this statement that's just astounding. He says, For all things are yours. All real things. All right things. All necessary things. All filling things. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or the life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you're Christ's. Now, that's the ticket, isn't it? And you're Christ's and Christ is God's. So he says, don't worry. Then in Romans, in chapter 8, we read all kinds of things that are of great comfort to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also be glorified with him. He says, listen, don't even worry in your suffering, because your inheritance is secure. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. He's saying, listen, if you're suffering now, remember the glory that's going to be revealed. You haven't lost that. Just though things may be difficult at the moment doesn't mean that you're impoverished because all things are yours. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things of God before us who can be against us? Then verse 32, which is a cordial that is sweet and divine, one we cannot live without, he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? He says, he's given you Christ. What are you worried about? Why are you accumulating? Why are you hoarding? Why are you keeping? Why aren't you giving? 
All things are yours. You're in Christ. Now we could go on. But you see, this is no small matter. It's no small matter at all to Paul because he realizes the danger that those in the church and outside the church who are called weak are in. And he says to these elders, and I think even to us, to pay careful attention to ourselves so that we really do understand the fullness that comes from giving, the life that comes from giving, and the death that comes through keeping. You know the parable that Jesus tells concerning judgment in Matthew chapter 25 of sheep and goats. I haven't time to read it all. But I trust you know that parable that Jesus tells. He splits all of the nations up into whether they're sheep or goats. And the question is, well, what's the criteria? Why are some sheep and why are some goats? And and the answer that he gives to them, um, verse 40, he says, And the king will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. So the goats, he writes in verse 46, go away into eternal punishment. The sheep into eternal life. And what's the difference? The difference is that those who saw Jesus uh, hungry and naked and without shelter uh, gave to him. And those who didn't give were those who went to eternal punishment. Those who did went to eternal glory. And, of course, they said, Jesus, when did we see you like this? And Jesus said, well, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. And so basically what he's saying to us is that the weakest among us, those who are in need among us, are to receive our care. And if they don't receive our care, then it shows that we really don't belong to him. Because these brothers of Jesus are, are believers. As he always says in the Gospel of Matthew, those who do the will of my father are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. He says, if you offer a a drink of cold water to one of these, because he's a disciple of mine, then you'll receive the prophet's reward. And so we realize that if there is a brother in need, as the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, and we don't tend to that need, we show ourselves to be those who do not belong to Christ at all. So this is no small thing. But it's not only to believers that this test comes It even comes to those who are weak and yet unbelievers. For instance, in Luke in chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says this. He writes, I know I'm going a little long today, but you came in a horrible day, so you should get more. Um, But I say to you, who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek off of the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away from your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do do so to them also. For if you love those who love you, that is if you just love your brothers, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, 
and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so you see, this is no small thing, as Paul says, to help the weak. So we must really get this word of grace. We must really get this point that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. It, it really does mean that fullness, real life comes as we share. And you say, I don't know how to do this. Well, good. This is not easy. Jesus never said this was going to be easy. He never said, here's the blueprint. He never did say, don't buy the Grisham novel, but give to the missionary. He never did say, don't buy the house, but give. These are hard things. It's always difficult things. It was difficult then. It's difficult now. But I think the word to me and the word to us is we need to watch and be careful. We know that we need to know our tendencies to be the rich fool. We need to know our tendencies to be like the rich young ruler. We need to understand that about us. And we need to to realize that it's way easy for us to accumulate and keep. And I wonder how much of our aggravation and how much of our irritation and how much of our discouragement and how much of our unhappiness and even to some degree, and I know these matters are complicated and I don't mean to oversimplify, how much of our depression, all of that is because our lives are self-absorbed and our lives are complete with worry about what we have and what we might not have and what we might risk and what we might not keep in terms of our money, in terms of our time, in terms of our lives. And I wonder if our evenings would seem to be filled with television, if they were filled with people, filled with needs, filled with the weak, filled with those who we could help, even after a hard day at work, might be more invigorating, might be more life than what we're receiving. I'll never forget my brother-in-law, but for a number of reasons, A, because he's my brother-in-law, but B, I'll never forget this about him. He was, he was uh, I hope he doesn't get this tape. Uh, he was uh, in his 40s at the time, so it was a while ago. He was in his 40s and was exhausted. So he was going to, he made an appointment with the doctor because he thought the doctor would tell him that you're working too hard and you need to take some time for yourself and take some rest and have a vacation, take some time off and all of that. So he goes to the doctors and after complete physical and all of that and, and life history, the doctor says, what you need is exercise. <laughs> it just made him really upset. Because <laughs> he'd already planned the trip and he'd already planned the time off. He'd already planned all that. And he thought what he needed was rest and sleep in Disney World or something. And the, the doctor said, no, 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 no. You need more work. this word of grace comes and says, I know it's hard. I know you don't want to do. I know it's a struggle. I know it makes everything really important all of a sudden. But be careful. Because it does bring fullness. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. That you would lead us into the way of blessedness. Seems easy, Lord, in a way to admit our spiritual bankruptcy and all of that, our weakness spiritually. But now I pray that 
We can admit our weakness in accumulating and keeping. And I pray for us that you would enable us to risk if that's what it feels like. To give. Even when we start to worry, we might be given too much. To help even when we might begin to worry that we're getting tired and it's taking too much. But Father, that you would fulfill your word in us. That we would be a company of people that proves the word of Jesus. That it's more blessed to give than to receive. On this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Apologize to your Sunday school teachers for me, please. I'm keeping you till five minutes before there to begin. The uh, response to the benediction is that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Now, we say that all the time. And I suppose in various measures we mean it. But when we say Jesus is Lord, we mean that he's always right and always to be followed. And then we say hallelujah at the end, which means, and that's a really good thing, and I'm happy about it. So we're saying that in response to this word, so please receive this as God's benediction now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah.